Welcome to the Emmanuel Network Podcast. We're so glad you're here. The Emmanuel Network exists to help pastors plant and cultivate healthy churches for a global harvest. Our aim with this podcast is to help our Emmanuel Network partners by having conversations that equip them for faithful gospel ministry. I hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome to the Emmanuel Network podcast. My name is Ryan Fullerton. And I'm Johnny Atkinson. And we're really delighted to be with you one more time as we're uh, thinking about uh, sending well. We've been thinking about the whole process of local churches uh, sending out uh, cross-cultural missionaries to then uh, plant and uh, shepherd and and launch other local churches, healthy local churches. And we've been thinking about the whole process of how we uh, send well. So we, we've thought about uh, the character and the qualifications of those we want to send, uh, that we really want to send those who we would consider leaders even in our own bodies, uh, like uh, those who meet qualifications of Titus 1 and 1 Timothy, uh, are going, 1 Timothy 3 are going to be best suited to then lead works uh, overseas. We thought about some of the challenges that uh, missionaries are going to face, specifically in um, less than biblical methodologies they're going to encounter and disciple-making movements and church-planting movements, and just trying to encourage people to the radical step of following the New Testament model in uh, in really uh, building up the local church and just giving themselves the ordinary means of grace, that those things don't have an expiration date that um, ticks off once you cross a culture. Uh, we thought a little bit about the first year and the first term, uh, some of the challenges that uh, missionaries face in terms of language acquisition and uh, d- just really um, learning the culture they're in. And really all of this has been under the rubric of Third John, which uh, where John the Apostle gives the instructions to send in a manner worthy of God. That's what we want to do. We want to equip pastors and equip uh, missionaries who will eventually send more missionaries uh, to send in a manner that really is worthy of God. We have the privilege of having a friend with us, uh, a dear brother whose work I respect uh, tremendously. we are Ryan Robertson is the president of Reaching and Teaching. He's an elder at our sister church, just ten minutes away from where we are right now, Third Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, he's currently uh, completing a doctor of missiology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and much to my great delight, he is a fellow Canuck, or for those of you who are not initiated, a fellow Canadian. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, as you just hear... I, th- I think we should just stop okay. and all sing God Save the Queen. Oh, I will that, do that would be glorious. I will do that. Okay. <laughs> God save our gracious queen, long live our noble queen, God save our queen, boom, 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 boom. send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us god save the queen fun fact wow okay. i'm also a uk citizen whoa so johnny and i have about just as much in common that's amazing that just I, happened on the emmanuel network podcast it sure did Bam. and <laughs> i just feel so good about that now if i could if we could the canadian national anthem I'd like to boast about this. Mm -hmm. The French version is unbelievably theologically rich. Mm. The one of the verses says, your arm knows how to hold all of history. 
because it knew how to hold the cross. Mm. And so, carton bras et porter la papaya, il sait porter la croix. Like, so it, it just, it's amazing. It's a, but so how far we have fallen. But how do we get back? Missions. That's Missions right. is how Amen. we see nations Amen. restored uh, to a place where they would want to honor uh, the Lord. So, Ryan, as you hear the things I've said up until now, not counting God Save the Queen, which may or may not be edited out of this edition, <laughs> uh, as you as you he- hear those things, sending well, DMM, CPMs, first year, first term, sending in a manner worthy of God, sending in other qualified men, what just resonates with your heart? What, what, what do you want to echo or maybe add to along those fronts? Yeah, uh, I, I would say the first thing that I would amen is the fact that we're talking about all of these things mm, uh, within amen. missions conversations today. Yeah, uh, I was just with Juan Sanchez uh, from High Point Baptist in Austin, Texas last week, and we were talking about how important elder qualification is in the sending out of missionaries. Mm. I love that we're having that conversation. Yeah, The fact that more and more churches are asking about disciple-making movement and church planning movements, that they even know to ask about those questions, that's encouraging me. Yeah. Uh, so I would I would give a, a loud and hearty amen that we should continue to talk about these things. We should talk about them with with grace and truth. We mm-hmm. should hold those things in balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to commend every single pastor who's listening to this podcast, uh, who are having these discussions in their elders' rooms. Yeah, uh, super super encouraged by that. Uh, the more we talk about missions, the more missions will be talked about within our congregations. Mm-hmm. And the more the Lord's going to use that to press into the hearts of his sons and daughters, some of them to go overseas. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hearing missions talked about more and more uh, in the last couple of years than I've, I've heard in, in quite a long time in the local church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my, my first overseas trip was 2005, and every missionary I encountered was uh, so secretive or so uh, almost suspicious of the scriptures. And even in that locale, I've seen just much improvement in terms of the way people are thinking. So it is, it's one of those things where there's a great problem. We're still in the minority, yeah. uh, but but it is encouraging to see so many people taking these things seriously. And really, we can expect great fruit in the decades to come as, as these uh, principles are lived by. Ryan, just with your work with, with reaching and teaching, you obviously get to see a lot. You're working with a lot of churches. You're sending out people to a lot of different countries. As you kind of look at that, and 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 obviously the, the churches that you're partnering with are, are very like-minded, so hopefully you're seeing more of the healthier side of things. But what 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 is just encouraging? Let's start with you know we we've talked about some things to be wary of, but what what is encouraging that you're seeing in the mission world today? Yeah, I would say there's a few different things that I could highlight. Uh, the first is I am increasingly encouraged, uh, even in a difficult world that we find ourselves in today, with geopolitical tensions in different places and workers having to leave countries. Uh, I'm excited with the health of the church in some of these places where mm. where our friends are working in, uh, where we can go and attend a local church. And uh, apart from a language barrier, I could walk out saying like, I would absolutely gather with that mm-hmm. local church. Amen. Uh, that's th- just the fruit of really good work that's been going on for quite some time. So I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I'm encouraged by the amount of times that I am getting asked the question, how can we send our missionaries well? Mm. Uh, that is one of the, the, the top two or three questions that I'm getting asked consistently is how can we do better in in the raising up of missionaries and then in sending them out? And so I think that's a really good and healthy step that churches are taking. Uh, and then I'm 
super encouraged. And, and I, again, our organization has the privilege of partnering with churches like Emmanuel and, and so many other like-minded churches. I'm encouraged by the quality of missionaries that are being sent out from churches. Mm. Uh, growing up, uh, and even recently, it's easy to look at missionaries as kind of like the odd ones out and we don't know what to do with them. So let's send them out overseas. That's kind of always been kind of the vibe that you pick up in missions circles. Uh, and all of my missionary friends listening, I love you and you're the exception. But uh, that's often what we've done uh, as the church in the West. And the reality is uh, I, I'm in the middle of a bunch of interviews right now and I am just floored at the quality of people. These are men that can take pulpits in America yeah. uh, and Canada and their churches have said, hey, listen, we're going to send you out overseas. Just this past week, I've met with two senior pastors uh, who they, their churches don't know it yet, but their elders do. Uh, their congregations uh, aren't in the loop yet, but these men are looking at going overseas wow. and walking with their churches hmm. that one day they're going to get Lord willing, shot overseas uh, on, on a plane, not actually shot, but shot overseas sure. on a plane uh, and catapulted into ministry overseas. So that fruitfulness that their church is seeing here locally is going to be seen globally. Yeah. That's exciting. And one of the things that excites me about that, just in what you're bringing up, is that often we're conceiving of um, missions, and church planting falls into this too, as a career that a person chooses immediately after college or even before college, and to see some some not only of our best and most promising, but most seasoned uh, heading overseas is a is a great blessing because of course uh, that experience will transfer over overseas, especially if you conceive of planting the churches as fundamentally the same, no matter what culture you're in. If you see missions as a completely other thing, then being forty and having twenty years of ministry experience is going to be a drawback. But if you see uh, planting churches in any culture as fundamentally following this pattern of sound words, you're going to have a great advantage in doing that. And I also think it's going to allow us to send younger people well oh, to yeah. have that strong pastor on the ground and to have them discipling young men and women around them as they're leading out in church planning. Well, this is something that we have found really key and we've really spent a lot of time focusing on for our newer missionaries, especially younger missionaries, especially our young single women. We're really asking who will you wind up under because who will you wind up being led by? And especially in those first couple terms, that's a really key uh, issue. Very similar to the way often in the United States, you know, a person winds up a youth pastor before a senior pastor. Well, I want to know who they're going to serve under. And so that idea of having mentoring uh, men overseas, it really does just bode well for the health long term. Um, okay. Well, no, we wouldn't be, um, we wouldn't be honoring the doctrine of total depravity if we didn't also ask you, what are you discouraged about uh, with missions today? We, we are recognizing that, and maybe not just to the doctrine of total depravity, but the reality of the devil. Uh, the reality of our own ignorance, um, and the reality of how slow we are to come to biblical convictions. What are you seeing that's discouraging um, out there in the in the missions, in the mission field today? Yeah, I think uh, you you referenced it in your your opening comments. Uh, the fact that there is uh, an obsession with movement methodologies in most places today, in most mm. organizations, uh, is very discouraging. Uh, as much as I talk about how encouraged I am that a lot of local churches are asking, I'm, we're in a small corner of a tent, so to speak, mm -hmm. in evangelicalism that 
are alarmed by these things. Most mm-hmm. people would think that they're great. And so mm-hmm. our obsession uh, about numbers in the West that we've, we've had for decades, we've exported that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very discouraged about that. Uh, continually discouraged by the propagation of the prosperity uh, heresy overseas uh, in the global South. Uh, very concerned with the theology that has been exported uh, overseas, that it just plays into man's heart. Yeah, uh, which ahead. countries in your experience have you seen that? Just uh, I've seen it in countries like Mongolia. I've seen it in a number mm-hmm. of different countries in Africa. Uh, I've seen it uh, take hold in Latin America. Uh, it's It seems to be everywhere. That's unbelievable. I, was, I remember uh, sitting in a in a, in a room I was staying in, in Indonesia and I just flip on the TV and there's the same prosperity preaching I can get on my television in the United States being pumped in to a, a completely Muslim context. And it is amazing how global and how uh, vicious really the attack of the enemy has been through um, the prosperity. I like what you said, prosperity heresy, not prosperity gospel. Yep. Uh, one other thing that I, I'm, I'm very alarmed by, I was just speaking with one of our missionaries who was at a training center for five weeks in, in somewhere in the U.S. I won't kind of call out where it is. But he was one of 30 units that was getting trained in how to learn language and culture, which I'm encouraged that people want to learn how to learn language and culture. That's very important in, in cross-cultural ministry. But he said that other than one other unit, so two out of 28, Two out of 30 could identify their sending church. 28 out of 30 missionaries that were in that training program could not identify their sending church. Mm. That's super concerning. That means a lot of people are getting pulled into organizations, and those organizations are happy to send them without any local church involvement in sending. And that's going to be catastrophic. When my wife and I first moved to Louisville, uh, we moved into a neighborhood where there was very little fathers, very few fathers. And we would go to the local pool. And we would just get, just, we would have children all over us wanting our attention. And it is amazing when we go over and go serve groups of missionaries and they see, and I don't think we're doing anything amazing, just see the connection and love we have with our missionaries. I feel that from those missionaries. It's like, there's no one at home who loves me. (laughs) And, and it's a very, it's, it's, it's hard for any of us to be alone. I think it's harder to be overseas and disassociated from a supporting church. No one's holding the rope. So that's, that's heartbreaking. We've, we've talked, yeah, we, we've talked a little bit about movement, obviously on earlier episodes of this, but I'd love to just even pick your brain a little bit. What, what do you think? I mean, and it does seem to be per- pervasive. I was even just this last week, uh, one of our network partners was uh, calling me and he was talking about, you know, people on his team are, are thinking through, well, what is it? What does the new Testament mean when it says preaching? You know, does that mean you can sit down and have a Bible study? Uh, and and I get knowing the context they're in, it would be foolish to stand behind a pulpit and blast your voice for, you know, 45, 50 minutes to a room that's probably got two people in it. So trying to work through it, but, but the Bible still says preach the word. <laughs> so what does that mean? And and I was trying to help him see that, that this is born out of poor ecclesiology and this is really born out of movement methodology because they have a poor ecclesiology. So what what do you think the allure is? I have some ideas myself for these missionaries going, but what do you think the allure is? Is it the promised success? Is it the ease of the method? What what do you think the allure is uh, with movement methodology? I think there's several of them. Uh, I think, first of all, it's a faulty hermeneutic. So I look at the book of Acts, I see certain things. I see those things as being descriptive. 
uh, movement methodologist would look at that and say, ah, those are prescriptive. Yeah. Uh, Paul moved from place to place. I look at that and saying, well, Paul was getting persecuted and had to flee. Uh, they're looking at that saying, well, that's prescriptive. We need to move from place to place. So I think it starts with our hermeneutic. I think the allure coming out of the hermeneutic also is uh, there is, you know what you're going to do every single day, right? So you're going to wake up and you're going to run this Bible study and you're going to uh, do it this, this time of the week. And this is then what you're going to do with these people. And all the steps are laid out kind of one through 10 of what you need to do. I think that's, that's easy. It's easy. Uh, so I think that's part of it. It's just there's an ease of knowing what to do. It's, it's much more difficult with all of the messiness that is inherently there with local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, proclamation model. Having to work through how to contextually preach. So I see Paul saying to Timothy, preach the word. That's, that's biblical. Preaching is biblical. Preaching the, the, the text, the message of the sermon being the message of the text, expositional preaching, that's biblical. Uh, it's messy though, right? How does it apply to that brother who has had three wives? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've got friends that saw men come to Christ who had murdered previous wives uh, because as their wombs grew during pregnancy, they, they believed that that was a sign of their wife's infidelity. No, that's just human biology. The baby's growing in the womb. And so he's preaching and he's looking at a man who's killed a couple of his wives over this. That's difficult. Um, working out those contextual issues, uh, that takes time to even see one healthy church planet. So I think some of the allure is, is ease. And I think it's also being able to send home reports of, of, of great success, right? So we're seeing uh, dozens of church planted. We're seeing hundreds of church planted. We're in our fourth or fifth generation of a church now. Look how great this is versus we've been here for 10 years. We've seen 15 people come to Christ. And by God's grace, we have one healthy local church. It reminds me so much of uh, actually the last episode we just did. We were talking to uh, two of our missionaries who are in sub-Saharan Africa, and they're they're working with a just a frankly a very debauched tribe. And uh, with sort of some dark humor, they said we said sum up your ministry, and they said it's been church discipline. And they have they have been forced, or maybe I'll just say compelled by the scriptures to keep their church small because. God has not at this point in time granted large numbers of people willing to walk in purity. And so there's a sense in which it's got to feel like every time, oh, we're taking a step backward. And yet there's part of me that's like, if you will guard the holiness and the purity of those 15 people, you may see revival. Mm-hmm. You, you may see a great outpouring of God's spirit where there's an ingathering. But if you dilute the water of that holiness, you, you might get some initial growth, but you will never get any kind of widespread rushing to Christ that happens when people really see something distinctly different by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I want to be clear too, the, the Lord can do whatever he wants to do wherever he wants to do it. Sure. And so we have to be careful in our discussions on movement that we're not seen as anti-movement. The Lord could do a movement right. whenever he wants. And so if we see a, a tremendous amount of people come to Christ and revival break out, praise the Lord. Yeah. yeah. However, if we can trace that back to some type of 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 methodology in which we've manifested results based on playing on human emotions or watering down the gospel. Uh, that is the concern that we have in all of this. One of the things that strikes me just, I wish I had a Baptist history textbook with me right now, but all three of us are Baptists. And what's striking is the early Baptists are just these 
tiny numbers, like seven churches in London. You know, there's maybe 30, 40 congregations in the world, or at least in, um, in, in, in England. Great Britain. Which one am I supposed to say right now, Johnny? You can say English. Okay, so there we go. So it might have been something in Ireland. Anyway, so in that in those islands over there, uh, there's the, the podcast this morning that said the Irish may have been the first to America. There's some shitty history there. Uh, okay, but okay. I'll, well, I'll take it. <laughs> anyway, but within a space of forty years, those churches are around. I think the number is six hundred and thirty-three. Baptist congregations in a space of 30 or 40 years. And those were people that were meticulous about getting the church right. These, these were these were by any measure persnickety Christians about how you did ecclesiology. And so the idea, I mean, and that would be, who, who wouldn't want that on their resume? We went from seven or eight congregations to 633 in 40 years. And, and so that's just one historical example of these things can go together. Mm-hmm. You can be absolutely scrupulous about what God's word says ought to constitute a church and expect for him to advance his mission exceedingly abundantly more than you asked or imagined. One one of the signs of a healthy church is that you ought to reproduce. You ought to be multiplying your evangelizing, your church planting, but but you multiply what you are. So if you're immature to begin with, maybe not even a biblical church to begin with, well, you're just multiplying things that are not God's plan and that aren't going to stand up you know, are, are going to be a false witness in a particular country if nominal Christianity is in there, if you're not exercising church discipline. These, you know, quote-unquote persnickety things that are simply just biblical things right. uh, that's going to affect the witness of the church in these areas. Do you, I have to ask, do you see... Uh, so movement, movement methodology is not new. It's been on the mission field for a while. As you're interacting with people, and again, you're in particular circles, but do you do you see those who maybe were enamored with it five years in, 10 years in, did, did they get disillusioned eventually realizing that, you know, seeing, because over 10 years, you're going to see, oh, we planted X number of churches. Half of them probably still aren't there, if not more than that. So do you see any disillusionment creeping in or do they just have to redefine success to use a, an ugly term? But uh, I think they have to redefine church. Yeah. And so uh, they'll look at something and say, that's a church. And we would look at that and say, absolutely, that's not a church. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's part of it is definitions are changing. Uh, I think uh, I read recently an article in Christianity Today where proponents of movement methodology said, don't, don't scrutinize the numbers too much. Uh, I'm a CPA, so I didn't put that in my biography, but I'm, I'm a CPA uh, from my former career. The last thing you want to say to an auditor <laughs> is don't scrutinize the numbers because that's the very first thing I'm going to do. Uh, there's nothing to see here, right? My, when my kids are saying, I clean my room, and they're saying that proactively, I'm thinking, did you clean your room? Uh, that's what we're doing with the numbers. And so I think there's changing definitions. Uh, I do see some people who maybe were in the middle on this, Johnny, get a little bit uh, discouraged and dismayed. Uh, I don't think many movement methodologists stay out in the field long enough to actually see the fruit of their success. They're actually stateside five or 10 years later talking about the thousands of churches that they planted Mm. or involved in planning that aren't there anymore. Uh, So I think that has some of it. And we don't want it. Who wants to go back and, and, and restate the numbers? No one wants to go back and restate the numbers. I do think that uh, there is a a particular component of movement methodologists, a, a group of them that they're not going to dissuade me in terms of my ecclesiology. I am firmly entrenched in what I believe is biblical ecclesiology. I don't think I'm going to be able to dissuade them, but I do think that local churches and missionaries, a huge contingent of missionaries who maybe are being swayed by, by some of this, this 
literature and, and methodologies, my hope is that we can pull some of them uh, into the conversation and have them start to scrutinize. What does the Bible say and, and what is this uh, trainer telling me uh, that I should do? It reminds me of the importance of the local church in sending. We're talking about sending well because if, if you've not experienced a biblical church, there's nothing really to be disillusioned with when you're there. You know, if they if the first time our missionaries hear about biblical methodology or unbiblical methodology is at the training center, yeah, we've already failed. Mm-hmm. Like they ought to have been exposed to that in our congregations. That's right. T- tell me, uh, how can the local church play a role in changing missions for the better? You're an elder. You're always trying to improve your congregation. In this, you know that we're always trying to pursue that. But you're also speaking right now uh, to pastors who maybe have just taken a pulpit and and the congregation hasn't sent well, or maybe they're planting and they're hoping that they could send well in the next five years, what are some key building blocks that they need to be thinking about um, in order to really send well? Yeah, we've, we've alluded to it so far, yeah. but uh, don't treat missions as a specialization that only agencies should deal with. Yeah, amen. So uh, friends, as you hear me, uh, I get to, by God's grace, lead a missions organization uh, my goal isn't to to lead out in missions. It's, that's your local church's goal. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to serve them mm-hmm. uh, and serve your churches. So take take a role in being part of these conversations. Uh, ask good questions uh, to missions agencies about what is the definition of a local church. And if they can't get that right, you should move on. If you ask your local church agency, what is a church? And they say, I don't know. I'm not an ecclesiologist. Then you'll want to back up from that. That's situation. exactly right. Uh, I would say uh, another thing that I would encourage, specifically those that are just stepping into pulpits. If you want to, if you're part of a revitalization or a plant, and you want to see great commission sending going out from your church, uh, preach whenever, whenever we see God's heart for the nations show up, preach it and hit it hard. Uh, it's very easy to glaze over that or, or to skip on to our next point. But when that that's a clear application of the text. Make that an application of the text. And don't be overly emotive in how you do that, but just show God's heartbeat for the nations from Genesis to Revelation as you exposit God's word. I think that's important. And then I think the third thing is uh, ask really good questions of churches that are sending well yes. on how you can do that well. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we love to do, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the Emmanuel podcast, I love introducing folks to Andy Uh from, from Emmanuel, because I just love the whole concept of the rope holding teams that's going on. And rather than me kind of taking what I'm hearing from Andy and dispersing that out, I would much rather connect churches to, church, to other churches. And so mm-hmm. look for churches that are doing it well and learn from them. Uh, and feel free to tweak some certain things to your own congregation, but but I would say those are three. Oh, I couldn't agree with that more. And I've, I've told all the guys in the Emmanuel network a thousand times, I'm a shameless phone caller. You know, you just call the people you think are doing it. Well, most people are willing to give you 20 minutes and answer your questions. And I know when we were forming the Emmanuel network and at various stages of thinking about how to send, well, you do not need to reinvent the wheel. Call the guys you think are doing well. You'll you'll know when they're doing some things that you couldn't convictionally do, and you leave that off. You know, but overall, you're going to get all kinds of wisdom, often some biblical insight you'd missed, and and really be in a much better place. And there really is a sense in which we want to stand on other people's shoulders, and then make it possible for other people to stand on our shoulders and do it better and better. 
We really love Reaching and Teaching. We're, we're very thankful for our partnership with Reaching and Teaching. We, uh, the missionaries that we have sent out with Reaching and Teaching are happy and encouraged by you guys and strengthened. And uh, we want you to shamelessly plug Reaching and Teaching and tell us, you know, what kind of it would do, what, what, what Reaching and Teaching can add to churches to help them send well. We would be delighted if more churches were sending with you guys and really if if more churches were seeing the kind of fruit we're seeing and the kind of care we're seeing for the people we've sent out. And think particularly of our our network churches. I mean, we have 20, 25 uh, network partners that are going to listen to this that I think Reaching Teaching probably works with three of them, four of them. So there mm-hmm. are there are those churches in our network that, yeah, we would love to get you connected with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, one of the things that reaching and teaching loves to do is operate in in a, the role that we're most comfortable in. So uh, what I mean by that is uh, in Andy Johnson's book on missions, he talks about how the church is the bride and agencies can function as the bridesmaid. I love that illustration because when I think about every single wedding that I've been at, never once have I seen a bridesmaid try and hog the, the ceremony. It, we would remember that for the oh, rest you'd of never our days, forget. right? Sure you with the bride. <laughs> it would be completely inappropriate. Yeah. The reality is uh, that's happening often in missions is where the bridesmaid is kind of hogging the stage and making much of herself uh, instead of the bride. And so uh, one of the things that I, I love about uh, our team at Reaching and Teaching is everybody gets that. Mm. Uh, every one of our staff member understands that our existence is to serve local churches uh, like Emmanuel Baptist here in Louisville. And when we're in our proper place, it allows us to, to function uh, in our gifting and allows that local church to function its gifting. Mm-hmm. So when, we, when I wake up, I'm thinking missions uh, at least between nine and five. Sometimes with time zone changes, it's a little different. But <laughs> I'm thinking about missions all day. Yeah, I don't expect our local church partners to be doing that. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the things they think about, but it's not everything that they think about. They're not thinking about security risks in, in, in Europe right now. And they're not thinking about what's going to happen in Southeast Asia with geopolitics in the next year or two. We think about that uh, and we've got consultants we're working with on those things. We're not, we're working with translation consultants and language consultants and culture consultants. Those are things that local churches don't have at their disposal. Mm. Uh, So I think one of the values that we add to churches is just, we think about missions a lot. And Mm. so when you come uh, on a phone call or a zoom call and you've got some questions, we've been thinking about those things already Mm -hmm. uh, by God's grace. Uh, the other value that we add is reaching and teaching uh, exists today with with a ton of strength in its global team because of the like-mindedness of the churches that we serve. And so our whole goal as we uh, work with churches and with prospective missionaries is, is this person a fit on our global team? Now, those people may never be in the same room together, mm-hmm. but I would love for Cody Cunningham in Nairobi, Kenya to get on a call with a colleague in Latin America or Northern Europe and have so much like-mindedness mm-hmm. that they can problem solve in a way that is encouraging to him, encouraging to your church, encouraging to the other churches. What I don't want to happen is for Cody to have to do theological triage on a call with reaching and teaching missionaries around the world and say, well, these are the 20% that I line up on what is a local church. That's right. And so for us as an organization, that's going to keep us inherently small uh, but we're really good with that uh, because I can look at every single church that we work with and say, wow, I would love to be a member of that church. Mm-hmm. We can link arm in arm uh, and and see healthy churches established all around the world because we agree on what one of those is. So I would say for for this podcast and for these listeners, those are probably the 
the the two or three values that I would. Well, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate your time and really appreciate your labors. And uh, I really um, am thankful for the work you're doing as a, as a bridesmaid and, and really encourage that the folks we've sent over who we care about and pray about deeply are getting cared for well. And I just couldn't underscore that enough. I, that's what I want for the Emanuel network is that when guys call other guys, they're going to get other, um, they're going to get wise counsel. They're going to get a plurality of counselors, but they're not going to have to discuss whether or not the scripture is where you turn to find that wisdom, that, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So thank you so much for helping us conclude uh, the Sending Well uh, podcast series. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we hope it helps you in the local church, whether overseas or here in, at home in the United States and Canada, to really uh, send well. And for a special treat, I just want you to be aware, guys, that on that first rendition of God Save the Queen. Johnny didn't sing. No, he did not. He didn't. He instigated things, but he bailed on us. And so as we close today, Johnny is going to lead us in a solo of (laughs) God Save the Queen. So I'm Ryan Fullerton. And I'm Johnny Atkinson. Johnny, would you take it away? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's it. There's a a little bit of Northern Irish in me that just chafes at this, you know, so this is difficult. I could do Ireland's Call. You want that? Yeah, let's have Ireland's Call. Come the day and come the hour, come the power and the glory. We have come to answer our country's call from the four proud provinces of Ireland. Very good. All right. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>